Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Censored. I'm Aoife Vrutnach. Continuing my theme of memoir, I'm reading Richard Wright's Black Boy. Published in 1945, it was a runaway bestseller, selling 400,000 copies that year. It was banned just two years later in Ireland in 1947. Now, the Irish censors did have it in for Richard Wright before this. They had already banned two of his fictional works, Uncle Tom's Children and Native Son. With this in mind, maybe it's not surprising Wright's memoir was sent to the board to be weighed for indecency. Its subject matter, growing up a black boy in the Jim Crow South, might have seemed foreign to Irish readers. But it was an explosive topic in America, where this memoir even got a mention in the floor of the US Senate. A senator called Theodore Bilbo, from the South, declared, It is the dirtiest, filthiest, lousiest, most obscene piece of writing that I have ever seen in print. Now, you won't be surprised to hear that he was a segregationist and a white supremacist. I mean, if anyone was filthy, it was him. I must admit that I find it disgusting that the Irish censor ends up in the same place, saying the same sort of thing about a book as a white supremacist. It's just awful company to be in. While Black Boy is, of course, a monument to American racism, it's also one of the most influential memoirs of the 20th century. So I think banning it and condemning it has implications for how you expect people to tell their story, both in Ireland and America. But let's consider refreshments. To be true to the spirit of the book, you should be reading it hungry. And not just hungry, starving. The memoir is about his childhood, his very early life, and it was marked by extreme poverty. He rarely had enough to eat. His hunger, as he matures, is also for more abstract things like freedom, but it remains that hard edge, that need to fill his belly. He wants the freedom to earn wages without the indignities of racism, but he hungers also for a good wage packet and a good meal. As for drink, I don't really want to choose the whiskey that he mentions, because he was briefly an alcoholic when he was six. I mean, it feels inappropriate to drink that. 
if I was to choose a drink based on the stereotypes I have in my mind of the American South, it would be iced tea. And I think doing that sort of thing would have driven Wright mental. He really was trying to interrogate those stereotypes and broaden people's understanding of what the South actually was about. It wasn't sipping mint julep on a beautiful veranda. So I think I'll abstain from beverages this time. I'll go in cold without comfort or solace. So why did the censors ban it? To be honest, I think they just got to chapter one and halfway through and decided that was it. Wright recounts how he and his brother roamed the streets of their neighbourhood while their mother worked long hours cooking and cleaning for white people. He's only about five or six at this point, so a little young to get up to serious crime. But he and all the other kids found something to entertain themselves with, spying on adults as they pissed and shat. Yes, the kids sat below outdoor privies, which were perched on a slope, so they're below the privies, watching the bowel movements of their elders and betters. I'll read this bit out because it really is incredible. We would crouch at the foot of the slope and look up, a distance of 25 feet or more, at the secret and fantastic anatomies of black, brown, yellow and ivory men and women. For hours we would laugh, point, whisper, joke and identify our neighbours by the signs of their physiological oddities, commenting upon the difficulty or projectile force of their excretions. Well, I mean, that would definitely do it for the censors. Fucking hell, they must have been gobsmacked. Wright describes this view of the privies and his neighbours' arses as raw and startling, which I think is the perfect description for this memoir. When I think of the other autobiographies I've read for this series, none of them feel quite as contemporary as Wright's. All of them claim to tell the truth, but frankly, the type and the style of frankness, it varies a lot. For example, with Sean O'Casey, there are a lot of digressions and fancy footwork and showing off, really. With Roberta Cowell, it's a racy adventure story told in a snappy journalistic style. These aren't bad reads, but they did feel, I suppose, maybe a bit old-fashioned, like a genre I'm not quite familiar with. But Wright's memoir is emotionally and narratively like many that I'm familiar with from the last 20 years. I think it's that word, raw. How often have you seen that used to describe someone's autobiography? It's now a touchstone word for memoir, I think. Much as I enjoyed parts of O'Casey or Cowell, I wouldn't call those texts raw because that's just not the tone that they're striving for. So what makes his work raw then, if I'm going to stick that label on it? I mean, it's not an easy one to describe, but I'll give it a go. I think it's to do with his construction of his emotional life as a child. He's often beaten and the opening passages are about his primal terror of getting a whipping. And it is literally a whipping. His mother makes a switch from a branch 
and beats him so badly he catches a fever and nearly dies. So this is grim, uncompromising stuff told in a blunt way. That's why I recognise Black Boy as modern, why it feels familiar to me. That's why I recognise Black Boy as modern, why it feels familiar to me. And his construction of childhood, how the child and adult perspectives are woven together in the narrative. It's very realistic, but there's self-awareness too. You know that the adult is looking back and reconstructing and sort of commenting from a distance. It is grim, but it's also darkly funny. It's heart-wrenching, but very powerfully politically charged. This is the story of a wronged child, but those who wronged him are legion. Yes, he criticises individual white people, but he also takes on and understands structural racism. Now, that doesn't mean that black people are excused or portrayed as saints in this narrative. He thinks his own family and community did horrible things to each other too. He's really quite critical of them for all sorts of reasons, including their personal failings, but also how their personalities have been warped by the violence that they live in. So it's a heady brew where one person's life story is unique, but also universal. I wouldn't be surprised if that rawness, that grittiness, was part of what offended the censors. They weren't in favour of too much realism because, you know, it could be shocking and immoral and destabilising. So I think this was banned in Ireland because, yes, there are passages that could be called indecent, but its overall tone was also upsetting. And the Irish weren't the only ones who've struggled with this book because this text actually has an epic history of censorship attached to it. In fact, the text me and the censors read, that was heavily censored before it was even published. Now, I didn't know this when I read it. I started off the journey the way I normally do. I got a copy of the book, in this case an e-book, and I just bought Richard Wright, Black Boy, because it was the only one available. I read it, then started to research it because I always read the book before getting stuck into what other people have to say about it. It was then that I learned that there was more than one version of Black Boy published. And I did have a moment of going, oh fuck, have I read the wrong one? But luckily for me and my purposes, I had read the 1945 edition. I had read the text encountered by the Irish censors. This edition is called Black Boy, A Record of Childhood and Youth, and it's the one you're probably going to find nearly everywhere, both in paper and digital. I know that some Americans have read right in school, and this might well be the version that you have read. It's the most commonly available edition, but it's only part of the memoir that Wright wrote and submitted for publication. To get his work published, he cut the last six chapters from that original manuscript and then wrote a whole new ending, but he had to get someone else to help him to do it. So we all know that cutting bits is not unusual. It's called editing and it's standard practice. But losing between a third or half of the book, depending on who you read, that's pretty drastic. It's also unusual that someone else had to help you write the ending. 
So why did this happen? It was because Wright was told that his full-length manuscript was maybe a little harsh and might alienate white readers. So the request to cut the manuscript came from the editors of the Book of the Month Club. Now, the Book of the Month Club still exists in America, but perhaps most of you wouldn't have come across it. So if you were to think of an equivalent, something whose recommendations drive sales, maybe think about Oprah or Richard and Judy or any of those celebrity endorsement book clubs. But in the 40s, the Book of the Month people were involved really early on in the publication process. I'm not sure that Oprah gets involved at the manuscript stage. For the editors of the club, they wanted to make sure that their stamp of approval was going on something palatable to mainstream middle-brow America. And that meant that they were involved at the publication stage. Wright accepted all their requests without losing his shit, which was pretty admirable, because he knew the book would be widely read under the umbrella of the Book of the Month Club. And he would make lots of money off it too, which is obviously a big deal, and no one should ever judge writers for wanting to get paid large amounts of money for the work that they do. It's kind of rare. Being chosen by this club was significant for anyone, but it was even bigger for Wright because he was the first author of colour to receive their imprimatur. And actually that happened in 1940 with his novel Native Son. Wright knew from that experience how many books you could sell if the Book of the Month Club liked your work. So he did delete those six chapters and wrote a new conclusion. Those lost chapters appeared as essays over the years and were finally compiled together in one volume in 1971, and that's called American Hunger, if you want to find it. It is out of print, obviously. It wasn't until 1991 that all the chapters and the original ending were published together. That restored version is called Black Boy Brackets American Hunger. Sadly, that's also out of print on this side of the Atlantic at least, and the 1945 edition remains in print everywhere as a classic. I actually don't think it's a problem that the 1945 version of Black Boy is still in print. Wright did sign off on it, and it is his text. What pisses me off is that the pre-publication censorship isn't flagged in my ebook. I mean, all it would take is a short few sentences, a little introduction. I think readers deserve to know this kind of editing history because it's a question of politics. If I was a casual reader who just picked up the book in the shop, I would never have known about Wright's compromises. And I should be told when I'm reading an expurgated edition. That's the sort of information any reader would like to know. I wish I could read the deleted six chapters but the prices of those editions are quite high, so at the moment, can't do it. And this does make me mad, because I'd love to read stuff that offends racists. And if I can't afford to, I would like to know that the text in my hand was profoundly shaped by expectations of racism in the editorial process. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. But if we circle back again to the Irish censor, this means that the 1945 edition they banned it was already expurgated at publication. It had been toned down, racism-wise, and yet they still banned it. To put that in context, even South Africa didn't ban this particular book. The South African regime did ban other works by right, but not Black Boy, as far as I can tell. Australia, another serial censorship offender, doesn't seem to have banned this one either. That means Ireland is even more disgraceful than usual on this one. We usually have company from our fellow censorship lunatics across the globe, but we seem to be out on a limb with Black Boy. Now you could say, what's the deal with talking about racism in the Irish censors? They're not going to be offended by Wright's content about that. So it's an irrelevant point to make. But since they left zero records, we cannot say how they felt about the content of Black Boy or what offended them. I do think that the memoir's raw and startling content, which includes all of that racism, that's what upset them as much as anything to do with bums hanging out of privies. So in the first few decades after its publication, this 1945 edition, it's widely read. People do complain about it, but it isn't subject to banning apart from Ireland. That is, until the 70s in America. In 1975, a lobby group in New York State, a conservative parent-type thing, succeeded in getting nine books taken out of school libraries because they were, in their opinion, anti-American, anti-Christian, anti-Semitic, and just plain filthy. Black Boy was one of those nine censored books. Now, it should be noted that five out of those nine books were written by people of colour. I'd be fairly shocked if this was a representative sample of the library stock. That would mean more than half of the books in the library were written by authors of colour. I doubt that was true. So this is absolutely a racist purge of minority voices from a public space. In the end, it didn't work because the Supreme Court declared the action unconstitutional in 1982. 
But if you're reading the news today regularly, you'll know that challenges against books and book banning in schools, that continues apace in America. And Wright's Black Boy has been part of this throughout the years. It has been challenged or withdrawn frequently. Just to reiterate, this book was already censored and people still couldn't handle it. I'll never not be mad about this, even though Wright wrote a whole new ending and attempted to mollify people's feelings, they still can't read it. His new ending, by the way, it was deliberately more upbeat and unifying, sort of trying to argue that freedom and the American dream were possible, but that wasn't enough. I mean, fuck's sake. Right. Let's leave the fury aside for the moment and move on to censorship bingo to see how much transgressive content Wright packed into this text. I'm sure there's a lot more going on than racism to hurt the feelings of conservative readers. In fact, they're probably using any of the filth as a cover to disguise their objection to its political content. So, let's begin, as usual, in our favourite place, breasts. There are no direct references, actually, but he does sit in church thinking dirty thoughts about the wife of a church elder. This is deliciously sacrilegious, and its you can almost imagine him leering at her from the pews. So I don't think you need to say the word breast when you write something like that. But unfortunately, yeah, I don't think we can take it. Bestiality. No. Sex work. Oh yes, plenty of it. In chapter two, he learns that the flat next door is rented to a sex worker. Wright, age nine, has no idea what's going on, so he stands on a box to peep in next door. I'll read this bit out to you. I saw in the dim shadows of the room beyond a naked man and a naked woman upon a bed, the man on top of the woman. I lost my balance and toppled backwards to the floor. I lay still, wondering if the man and woman next door had heard me, but all seemed quiet and my curiosity returned. The best bit is that this vignette leads to a massive row with the landlady and they have to move out. So yeah, there's definitely sex work in this. Next, well, racism. Yes, of course, of so many varieties. He does include, say, anti-Semitism when he talks about the treatment of Jewish people living in his neighbourhood. So those New York conservatives complaining in 1945 were right. There is anti-Semitism in the book. However, that's a fairly stupid way of reading it because Wright, as an adult narrator, does not approve of his past childhood behaviour and makes that abundantly clear. He knows that this is racism of a different kind. So yeah, we could take racism till the cows came home in this particular censorship bingo. Then drugs. Well, <clears throat> there is drink, of course, um, but I don't think I saw any drugs references. He does write, reading was like a drug, a dope, which is a sentiment the Irish censors would absolutely agree with. But I'm afraid it's not enough of a drugs reference to tick the box. Politics. Yes, I mean, it's inherently political. It's a state-of-the-nation narrative told through Wright's life. The politics of it, 
is why I think it's still capable of upsetting people. Then swearing. Yes, but in a funny way. It's much more oblique than you might expect. For a gritty narrative that where the child spends so much time on the streets and is such an incredibly deprived neighborhood, there's not a lot of foul language. But he does know lots of swear words. He only learns what they mean, though, at lunchtime when he goes to school for the first time. And this is from chapter one. On the playground at noon, I attached myself to a group of older boys and followed them about, listening to their talk, asking countless questions. During that noon hour, I learnt all the four-letter words describing physiological and sex functions and discovered that I had known them before, although I did not know what they meant. Now, he doesn't actually write what those four-letter words are, but we certainly do know what he's talking about. And then later, he takes a piece of soap and writes all of these newly acquired four-letter words on the windows of the neighbourhood. I mean, astonishing. Obviously, his mother is extremely angry and makes him wash them all off. But, yes, there's enough discussion of the four-letter words that you can actually imagine him writing them on the windows like that. How did he fit each letter on the panes? I mean, although he doesn't write them out in the text, I think you'd be pretty ignorant not to imagine them and say them in your own mind. So yeah, I think that's enough to earn a tick in the bingo. Infidelity. Oh yes, lots of that. And then crime. Yes, many occasions. There are lots of shady characters coming and going out of his family's life. One of his maternal aunts seems to have shacked up with an arsonist. Slash, don't know what. He's very creepy anyway. And when Wright finally goes to work, he realises that he is expected to cheat and thieve, and he's considered in Egypt when he doesn't, and he describes various schemes that he gets involved in. So yeah, we can tick crime. Genitalia. Well, I think that reference from chapter one about the anatomy of his neighbours, that certainly counts. Abortion. No, I don't think so. Orgies. No. Sexual assault. Well, yes, when he works in a hotel, the black women who work alongside him are harassed by white men. So, yeah, we can absolutely tick that. Then, extramarital pregnancy. Really? Not explicitly. Masturbation. Well, it's a bit like swearing. It's sort of talked around so much that you know exactly what he's saying. When he's describing his teenage lusts for the wife of the church elder, he talks about wet, sticky fingers. It's certainly close, but maybe it's not enough for censorship bingo, because he doesn't linger on it like the swearing. Sex toys? No. Feminism? Well, unfortunately not. His story doesn't really bring those kinds of principles in, I think. It's very much about boys, partly because he has no sisters. This is a cry for equality and a protest against the masculinity that he was expected to perform, but it doesn't really take account of the girls he grew up alongside, so I don't think I can take it. Divorce. I'm not sure. I mean, his mother splits up from his father, 
And then she goes to court to try and get maintenance payments after after he basically deserted them. But I can't be sure that they were married from the text. So there's lots of separation, but no real divorce. I don't think anyone could have afforded it anyway. I don't think I can take it. Contraception. No, I don't think so. Next up, menstruation. No, very little about the detail of girls' bodies. Blasphemy. Well, absolutely. 100% soaked in it. Wright documents his struggles with the idea of God, which ends in him not really believing in anything. And he is very sharp about the evangelical churches his family attended because they forced him to profess a faith he didn't feel. I mean, he's baptized, but he really isn't into it. He does it to make his mother happy, to placate his grandmother. And he shows the pastors who engineer this as manipulative and credulous. I'm sure these parts would have offended many black readers. So it could definitely be argued this was a blasphemous text. Oral sex. No. Hardly any explicit sex. I don't think he actually has any sex. Graphic violence. Yes, I mean, the child beatings, wow, they're really hard to read. And later, as Wright gets older, he fights various relatives who try to beat him. There's an awful staged boxing match with a colleague. I mean, these events are shocking and visceral and they're definitely graphic enough. And then finally, LGBTQ plus content. I didn't notice anything explicit. Because in many ways, I suppose, there's not a lot about sex in it. Um, or even gender, apart from his own very personal interior journey. So I don't think I can take that one. Right, so if I count that up, it get 10 out of 25. It's a substantial score. Not even... Not outrageous, but very impressive. In many ways, this memoir isn't sexually explicit, but it manages to suggest all sorts of sex. So if you scored it for implicit filth, I think you'd find it would earn a few more points. It really is a remarkable memoir, and I'm very glad that I read it. According to Mary Carr, in her book The Art of Memoir, Wright started the American memoir craze of the 20th century. She argues that his was the first blockbuster autobiography written by someone who was not already a celebrity. I'd sort of disagree with that a bit. He had been a Book of the Month author in 1940 with his novel Native Son, which sold bucket loads of copies, so his name was known a bit. Actually, side note... Native Son was also censored by the club's judges. He had to remove a masturbation scene to get their approval. So he wasn't entirely unknown when he published Black Boy, and he himself was also familiar with the compromises he needed to make to sell his books to earn money. Still in all, though, the shimmering rage that jumps off the page, it's really an incredible book. It will live rent-free in my head for a long, long time. And it's now my mission to read the full, unedited version, if I ever find a copy I can afford. Wright's book actually represents the last memoir I'm reading for season 9, because I fancy, ent- because I fancy ending with a funny novel. And after such a tough read, I really could do with a bit of satire. 
Until next time, keep your hands clean and your minds filthy. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.